Father, I love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for just being good to us and uh, loving us, Lord. And um, Lord, just uh, giving us something to hold on to, uh, giving us hope in uh, in a world of what seems like hopelessness, and um, just uh, giving us a light to shine in the darkness of the world. And uh, God, it's it's our job to share the gospel. It's not our job to save anybody. And so. Um, there's times that we have conversations with people or we minister to people or we love people and uh, it just seems like they don't get it and we feel uh, at times like we're a failure because of it. But Lord, I pray that you would uh, just give us peace because you told us to go and uh, it's up to you to uh, work on the hearts of the people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just give us peace in that. Uh, I pray for all the things that we mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago uh, with everything that's going on in people's lives, that you would uh, just really be the, the author of peace uh, in our life over uh, all the circumstances because uh, at times circumstances seem to cloud our judgment and uh, make us just really miss out on uh, what you're really doing. And so I pray that you would uh, just allow us to stay focused on you and that you would get the honor and the glory. Uh, just uh, speak to us today as we uh, work our way through uh, hopefully the rest of this chapter that you would... Uh, just really kind of clarify some things and just uh, allow us to evaluate where we're at on some of these things. So I pray that you would just uh, speak to us today in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you got your Bibles, open up to 1 Corinthians 15. And so a couple weeks ago, uh, we've been obviously for a month or better. It's definitely been more than a month. More than a month been working through 1 Corinthians 15. And I do think we're going to kind of get through it today because a couple weeks ago, uh, I took... Uh, <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> Two months now, uh, almost. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> it wasn't mine. We didn't have class a certain week, and then Chris taught last week, and so it's not all my fault. Well, uh, I can't remember, but yes, I definitely did, but I don't know when that was, so my wife could probably tell you because she writes it all down. But uh, anyway. Uh, We've been working through 1 Corinthians 15, and two weeks ago, uh, I took a, a week, and I didn't know how long it would take, but we just kind of slowed down, and instead of teaching through like I normally would, we just kind of walked through um, the things that we know. And so sometimes, uh, whether it's in the Bible or just in a real-life situation, if you find yourself in something that's just kind of cloudy, and it's like, I don't really know what's going on, I don't really know where I'm at, I don't really know which direction I should go... Sometimes the best thing to do is to stop and just look at what you do know to be true. Because there's too often that we're like, well, this could be true, and then I know that that might happen. And if you're ever trying to like get into like life situations, it's like, well, this if this, this, then this happened just right, then this would happen. Well, a lot of things have to line up for that to happen, right? And so instead, look at the things that you know are true and base your decisions on those or base where you're going to go from there. And so that's kind of what we did a couple weeks ago when we looked at this, you know, what does the resurrection look like in our lives, right? As as you were lost and uh, as you got saved and then what's it going to look like uh, in eternity future? And we looked at the body, um, the soul and the spirit and where each of those three elements play into that pre-salvation, post-salvation, post-resurrection, all of that. And so I even did my best to draw on the board, and you all made fun of me, and that's why I don't draw on the board, because that's what happens when I draw on the board. And so anyway, go back and listen to all that if, if you want to catch up on it, because I'm going to kind of move quickly through that section today, because I really want to get to the end of the chapter. We've spent a lot of time here. I think we've spent enough time here to uh, make sure everybody kind of has a pretty good firm hold on this, and so I want to, I want to keep moving and, and not just kind of continue to beat a drum that you've heard played before. So anyway, with that being said, let's uh, jump into 1 Corinthians 15. Let's just pick up in verse 35, and I want to read down through this 
And then I'll try to make some sense of it, right? So in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 35, it says, But some men, or some man, will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool! That which thou sowest is not quickened except it die, and that thou, uh, and, and that which thou uh, sowest, thou sowest not the body that it shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of beasts, another of fishes, another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial, uh, and the glory of the celestial is uh, one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another, and the uh, one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For the one star differeth from another uh, in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, is raised in corruption. It is sown in dishonor and is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that uh, was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man uh, is of the earth, earthy. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they that also... Uh, uh, that are earthy, as, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are uh, heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, so shall we also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Okay, whew, that's very wordy. Okay, I want to work my way through this, because what I really want to get to is the last part of the chapter. But for now, I don't want to just blow through this. We didn't really teach verse by verse through this a couple weeks ago. And so I want to look at uh, what Paul has to say about the whole situation, uh, coupled with what we looked at a couple weeks ago with what it, what does it look like with your body and your soul and your spirit. And so the best way that Paul explains this thing is... Uh, the best way that Paul really explains anything, he uses an analogy. That's what Paul almost always does. He's like, let me give you something that you do understand to help you explain or help you understand something that you don't quite understand. Let's use something that you you, you have seen before and what you can grab a hold of and, and go from there. And so uh, he starts and he says, but in verse 35, but some men will say, how are the dead raised up? He's like, somebody's going to ask you, how does this whole thing work, this whole resurrection thing? How is that even possible? And with what body do they come? Because that's the question they're going to ask. What, are they just raised up in the body that they're in? How does that work out? And uh, he says, thou fool, because that's how Paul talks sometimes. He's just like, man, you don't get it. Um, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Now, that's something you need to understand. You're not going to be resurrected with the body that you have now. And he's going to spend a lot of time talking about that. Now he moves into this analogy. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that it shall be, but bare grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth a body as it pleased him, and to every seed to his own body. Now, I don't know uh, a lot. I've seen a lot of things uh, happen, but I've never actually done it. You can ask Doug, but when he plants corn in the spring, he doesn't like go out with a corn stalk and shove it in the ground and say, okay, now here in a little while there'll be a corn ear grow on this thing. It goes in the ground, a kernel, right? No different than when you're planting uh, a flower or anything else. You plant it as a small seed, as something uh, that is very uh, dead, and it has raised up something in life, right? And so that's what he's trying to say. And then what happens, as far as what he's... The, the example Paul's trying to use is, uh, in a harvest type of sense, the grain has to basically go all the way through its life cycle and die before it's actually good for anything, right? If you were going to harvest uh, corn where you were actually going to eat it, you would do it months ago, 
But what happens? We let it die, completely dry out, and thereafter the grain that's inside of it. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what the, the analogy Paul's trying to use. He's like, hey, you guys understand farming, right? That's what they did in the area that they were, they were in. Not the same type of farming that we know of, but he was like, you guys understand farming. He says, that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that it shall be, but the grain. It may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now he goes on to say, all flesh is not the same. The same way that every seed you plant in the ground isn't going to grow the same thing. He says, all flesh is not the same. Uh, flesh. There is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another fishes of, uh, of fishes and of birds. He's like, um, you're all created differently. Um, you know, fish have scales, all the different things. He's like, God created everything in particular for his purpose and what he was doing here. Um, there are also celestial bodies. What does that word mean? Somebody tell me what celestial means. Very King James word. Heavenly, right? A celestial, celestial is like heavenly, right? It talks about the celestial kingdom, the heavenly kingdom uh, in the Bible. So he says there are also celestial bodies, I mean heavenly bodies and bodies terrestrial. So that's where we get into what is your heavenly body or glorified body look like? What does your earthly body look like? Well, this is what my earthly body looks like, depending on how much I eat or how well I take care of it. It you know, goes into what it looks like. Well, it's not like that with your heavenly body. Your heavenly body, go back to a couple weeks ago, we talked about everything that you've done for Christ from the day you got saved, moving forward to either the day you get raptured out or the day you die. That's what your glorified body is based upon. Now, you know that, and so you should be excited about, okay, I have every opportunity to make my glorified body just the way that I want it. But instead, we just kind of get bogged down with life and with all the... And that's what I kind of want to end up with today. But anyway, your glorified body is completely different than the body that you have now. There are people that are like, well, this is what I'm going to look like forever in eternity. No, it's not, right? You're not going to look like that at all. Uh, you can't look like that. You can't be uh, a part of uh, God's kingdom in the body that you have now. You can't be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the body you have now. It just doesn't, it can't happen. He says, uh, there's the glory of the sun, the glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. The whole purpose of, of that verse is him saying, everybody has their own purpose. Even in eternity, you're going to have your own specific purpose. The sun has its purpose. The moon has its purpose. The stars individually in eternity will have their purpose. You, as an individual that is saved by the blood of Christ, with your heavenly glorified body, will have a purpose to do something, right? Whatever that is, you will have something to do. So also is the resurrection of the dead. He's like, okay, I use that whole thing as an analogy to tell you that's the same thing that's going to happen. It is sown in corruption, meaning it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you're not perfect. You're corruptible, right? You're going to die. Anybody in here think that I'm just not going to die? Uh, you better hope you get raptured out. There's the only way that's going to be true, right? It doesn't work like that. It's sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. When you're resurrected, you are no longer in this failed, not great, not good body, right? You are raised in the sense of you're going to have a glorified body. Now, I told you point blank a couple weeks ago. I don't know how that works as far as how you get from right here to your glorified body. I know we get our glorified body at the judgment seat of Christ. But what happens in that short amount of time, I don't know. Because I know that we're not supposed to be present with God uh, in the body that we have now. So I don't know if like our glorified body happens on our way up and then we you know, find out. I don't, I don't know. And I would be 
wrong if I tried to tell you otherwise. There's no clear evidence. I do know that you're going to get a glorified body at the judgment seat of Christ. I know you will have a glorified body at the judgment seat of Christ. And I know the judgment seat of Christ is the first thing that happens after the rapture. So uh, how exactly that plays out, whether it's seconds, minutes, hours, days, I don't know. I would be lying to you if I told you I did know. Okay, so But I do know that you will have a glorified body based on the things that you did for Christ from the day you got saved moving forward. He says in verse 44, it's, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We understand. We, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Uh, the body that you have right now is your natural body. Uh, you don't get your spiritual body until the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Okay, we two weeks ago, but go back and uh, you're born uh, with a soul, but you have a dead spirit until you get saved. You You have... Uh, the part of the spirit from the time you get saved moving forward. Okay, so now you have body, soul, and spirit if you're saved today. Howbeit, that which, uh, that was not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. Meaning, you didn't just get born as a Christian, right? You didn't get saved, uh, because your parents were Christians. Uh, you were born a natural body, a sinner. That's how Paul calls it. Uh, and it's only through the blood of Christ that you are born into a spiritual family. It's pretty basic stuff, but when you put it all in context, it kind of helps everything make sense. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth, earthy, meaning, well, how did God make Adam? He reached down and he grabbed a handful of the dirt of the ground and he said, I'm going to breathe breath of life into this and it made him a living man, a living spirit or soul, not a spirit. He said that which is first, which is spiritual, but that was natural. I'm sorry, verse 47. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord, not of the Lord. He is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. Meaning, you look like your dad. You look like your mom. Typically, you act like your dad or you act like your mom until you train yourself not to do so, right? That's just the way that, that life goes, that you, you look like them. You can try your best to not act like them, but it really doesn't matter how hard you try. Sometimes you just look like your dad or you just look like your mom. It just is what it is, right? And that's just the way that it is. But then it also says, good news, uh, Verse 49, and uh, as we have also borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Meaning, if, you're, if you've taken on the name Jesus Christ in your life, you can now look like Him. You don't have to worry about what you physically look like because I want to know what I spiritually look like. I want to spiritually look like something better, something greater. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Okay, he boils the whole thing down, and I know I went pretty quickly, but because we've already hit all of that. He boils the whole thing down saying that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how much you want to think that you've done a good job cleaning up your life, straightening up your life, getting things figured out, you fill in the blank. You're never going to be half as good enough as you need to be to be in the presence of God with the body that you have now. It's just not possible, okay? It doesn't work like that. So, he says all of that to say, how do I wrap this thing up, right? So he's, he's talked about everything leading up to this is the resurrection. This is why the resurrection is important. This is how the resurrection ties into all these other doctrines. This is what the resurrection looks like. And without what he finishes this chapter with, I think it really just would be left off. But he finishes it with, what are you going to do about it? Now that you have this knowledge, what are you going to do about it? Because that's kind of what 
life is, that's kind of how life works. You can go about something in complete ignorance and just not know. And eventually somebody's going to be like, hey, you probably shouldn't have done that, right? Uh, And you're like, oh, I didn't know. There were things that I was doing uh, right after I got saved that I just honestly didn't know, right? I was still doing a lot of lost things that I was like, I knew I got saved, but I'm telling you, I didn't know nothing about what the Bible said other than uh, Jesus saved me. So uh, there were things in my life that people had to be like, you probably shouldn't have done that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I won't do that anymore. And I, I shouldn't act like that. I shouldn't talk like that. I shouldn't do those things. So ignorance is bliss until... You're not ignorant anymore until now you have the knowledge and it's like, oh, now I'm responsible to do something with it, right? Uh, it's one thing to be single and free, right? But then at some point, like not always, but a lot of times uh, you get married and then all of a sudden uh, it seems like kids come along and now some of the decisions that you were going to make are now impacted by the things that you know to be true. I have to. Even though I don't want to sometimes, I have to do X, Y, and Z because it's not just for the betterment of me. It's for the betterment of my spouse. It's for the betterment of my children. All of those things, right? That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'd be better off staying single if you could, I promise. Uh, but anyway, that's just what he says. Uh, but now that you have this information, what are you going to do with it? Now that you know that the resurrection is true and you know that, well, basically everything that you do from now moving forward uh, is is building the body that you're going to have for eternity. Eternity. Not for 10 years, not for 20 years, for eternity. Now that you know this information to be true, what are you going to do with it? That's kind of how he wraps the whole thing up. It's like, okay, now you've got the info, what are you going to do? He says, behold, I show you a mystery. Now he, he gets into this rapture thing because some people are like, well, what happens if I don't die? When's Jesus coming back? What happens then? Well, he clarifies it. Behold, I show you a mystery. Verse 51. We shall not all sleep, meaning die, but we shall all be changed. Meaning there were some, there was some confusion saying, well, only the people that died, uh, as Christians will get a different body, but those who are actually alive when Jesus comes back or raptures people up, you get to keep that body. He's like, that's not the case. He says, we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. This is the rapture. Very Real quickly, I don't usually do this, but real quick, hold your finger here, flip over uh, a few pages to First uh, Thessalonians. Four or five books back, but they're short books. First Thessalonians chapter 4. We know this is the blessed hope of Christ, but this is like another perspective, another uh, account by the same guy, Paul's writing it, of what the rapture is going to look like. So put the two of these together, and this is what the rapture looks like. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, But I would have you not to be ignorant, brethren, again, you now know this, concerning them which are asleep, meaning that have died, that you saw or not, even as also uh, others that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Meaning, uh, if you've had a loved one that's died and they were saved, it says right here, God, they're going to be there. God's, God's bringing them with him. Don't worry about it. You have peace in that. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Okay, so this is what, same same thing he's talking about. This is what the rapture is. Uh, the, the, us that are still alive at the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Meaning, just because all Christians haven't died doesn't mean no Christians resurrect. And because some Christians have died and some haven't doesn't keep the ones that have died from resurrecting. God's got it all figured out is what he's trying to say. He's got a plan for everybody, right? 
For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Meaning those who have died as Christians, they will rise before us. So I would say, if you start hearing a trumpet and you're not at a band concert, that might be like the first thing that like perks your interest. Uh, the next thing, you start seeing like resurrecting people out of the ground, that might be the second thing that perks your interest. Hey, I think this is really happening, right? You know, I joke all the time. Like, I, I, if I walk in the house and there's, like, nobody there and, like, Paige is gone or I'm like, did the rapture happen and I totally miss it or what? You know, and I, I always say that jokingly, but, you know, it, <laughs> what'd you say? The work ones. <laughs> we're doing something. We're just gone. An hour and a half. An hour and a half. It was while we were working at Jenny's. I don't remember. I don't either. Anyway, who knows what we were doing. Uh, anyway, the whole point was there's going to be signs that let you know hey, if you're still alive, the rapture is that this is actually happening, right? And so, like it says, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Uh, and then, verse 17, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with our Lord. Or so, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's like a different account of what's happening at the rapture. So flip back over to Corinthians, and he's like, okay, so just so you know, um, we shall not all die, sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall, sign, uh, shall sound, and the dead in Christ, uh, the, and, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Now, back to my comment of I don't really know exactly how this thing plays out. It's verses like this that make me think before we even get there, we are changed into our glorified body, but there's really no proof of that, so just throwing that out there. Um, because it says that the dead uh, shall be raised incorruptible, okay, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible, meaning the body that we have on now, must put on incorruption. Why? Because we can't be in the presence of Christ with the body that we have. So we have to put on incorruption. And this mortal, meaning the body that you have that can die, shall have put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now, he didn't put this passage in here to say, oh, by the way, I wanted to tell you about the rapture. He put this passage in here because he's like, you, you need to put all of the things that I've said up until now into perspective, into their proper column, so that you can understand what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is whether you live for Christ and die or whether you live for Christ and you're raptured out, it doesn't matter. Death has no power on you anymore, right? I don't fear death the way that a lost person fears death, right? I don't fear death in the way that it's like, well, I don't really know what's going to happen. Now, I don't want to die. I have things that I need to take care of. I have a family to take care of, all these different things. But it doesn't like burden me with I don't know what's coming. The same way that I don't have to worry about if, if my family member was to die that I'll never see them again. The same peace that I have that I'm going to see them again is the same peace that I have about my own life. I'm not concerned about it. I have a purpose now. And so he says, it doesn't matter whether you've died as a Christian or whether you don't die as a Christian. Death has no power over you anymore. So if you have the knowledge that death has no power over you anymore, how does that change the way that you live? That's kind of the whole the way he, he wraps up the whole chapter. If you really have the perspective of, I'm not concerned about death anymore. Now I'm concerned about lost people dying, but personally, and with those that you love enough and you know that are saved, if death has no power on you anymore, how does that change the way that you live today, tomorrow, and the next day? Because that's really what he's trying to say here. Now that you have all this info, great. Don't let it puff your head up too much, right? 
Knowledge puff it up. Charity edifieth, right? Uh, love is what's going to change things. Charity, love, same Greek word. Anyway, um, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's like, the thing that controls the world is the fact that we all know that we have our days numbered, right? We we have our days numbered. And so uh, death is the thing that everybody's concerned about, but there is no victory in death. And so the sting of death is sin. Why? Because sin is bound you to die. We understand that if you could somehow live sinless, you wouldn't have to die, but you can't. And so he says the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, meaning the thing that proves that you're a sinner is the law. You can even, Paul uses, uh, this is an example in the book of Romans. He says, uh, the law is our schoolmaster, meaning it's like your teacher. Use the law to show you that you're not near as good as you think you are, right? Even just try to drive home today without breaking any traffic laws. Try to, try to go through the rest of the day and not break any of the basic laws. And that's going to teach you as your little schoolmaster teacher that you're not near as good as you think you are, right? You might think, well, I've got this figured out, but you really don't. The, the law shows you that you're a sinner. And the fact that you're a sinner proves that you're going to die. And that he says, okay, so let's use backwards thinking here. If the grave has no victory, and the sting of death is sin, and the strength of the sin of the law, I have nothing to be scared of, because the law has no power over me, because sin has no power over me, because the blood of Christ took all that from me. Paul's trying to say, man, all the things that you guys are concerned about, that you're like, twisting your whole life up about and, and you're living your life like defeated and, and wondering and, and all of these things. And he's like, none of it matters because I've given you a higher purpose and a higher calling. What are you going to do with it? He boils it all down to like, yeah, it's, it's one thing to like sit down and, and see how something plays out. But it's a lot less fun to see how something plays out when you already know how it's going to end, right? Have you ever watched a movie and it's like you, you really... Whatever it is, you were like really anticipating watching this movie, and it was like really good, right? And then this is what happens to me. You probably aren't like me, but there'll be times that I'm like, man, I really want to watch that. I've never seen that before because you know I never get to see anything like as soon as it comes out because we're so busy. And so like we'll sit down on the couch. It's like, hey, man, I really want to watch this movie. And you get about a quarter of the way into it, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I've seen this. I just don't remember it. And it's like, yeah, I know. I remember how it ends. It's like the movie is a whole lot less interesting when I already know how how it ends, right? And well, that's what Paul's trying to say. If you already know how this thing ends, uh, the the worrying about like your anxiety and which um, anyway, I'm not going to go there. The worrying about all the things that uh, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> it's just funny. Uh, nobody else saw it, so it's all good. Uh, the worrying about all the things in your life that are just temporal, meaningless, doesn't matter, like. Paul's like, what's the purpose here? And then he, he gets to this last verse, or the second to last verse, and he's like, huh, let me ask you a question and see how, or he doesn't ask you a question, but I'm going to pose it as a question. And you can kind of look at it with your life, with all these things that you probably already knew, or if not, that you now know. And it's like, okay, so how, what are you going to do now with it? So he gets to this whole thing, and he says, um, the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But verse 57, but thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm sorry, it is the last verse. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, 
always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Basically, what he's trying to say is, everything that you do, all the work that you're just like, man, I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. All of the work that you do is building your glorified body. Everything that you do, every person that you share the gospel with that says, man, you're crazy, get out of here. Every time that you minister to whoever it is that you feel like, man, they're just never going to get it, right? I'm wasting my time. It's building your glorified body. Everything that you do in the name of Christ is building your glorified body. There is no such thing as, well, it's not really worth it. It was a waste of time. It might be a waste of time to you on this earth, but I promise in eternity when it's like, man, that's just like one more like whatever star on my helmet of the you know my glorified body or whatever, it's like, yeah, it was worth it. It was definitely worth what I do. And so... All of that I say, uh, I want to, I want you to just ask yourself these three questions because this is kind of, as I was reading through this, I'm like, this is what Paul, through his whole chapter, and I think a lot of people miss this, this is what he's trying to get you to try to figure out. And so there's just three questions, and I'm posing them as questions, but three questions to ask that will reveal your readiness for the resurrection. Because really, your readiness for the resurrection is your readiness to die, is really what that means. And so three Questions to ask that will reveal your readiness for the resurrection. And the first one, and they're just right here out of this verse because I'm like, what's the point of trying to change something if it's right here? Am I living a steadfast life? What does that even mean? What does the word steadfast even mean? Anybody? Unmovable? And that's a really good word, but we can't use that one because that's the next one. So, uh, <laughs> It, it, but you're right, Aaron. It is. That's what I think of too. Steadfast. Somebody like it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what life throws at them. It doesn't matter what the curveball is. Uh, I'm not changing where I'm at. Right. I, I'm steadfast in what I'm doing. Uh, if God, I, if you were here last week when I was uh, when I was preaching and you didn't fall asleep before the end, um, the biggest point I was trying to make, and I don't know that I actually got it made, which is disappointing. But um, if you don't have peace. And what God has called you to do, you're never going to have peace in anything that you do, right? And so if you go back and listen to that, um, but anyway, God has given you something to do. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with Christ. God has given you something to do. The problem is a lot of times we try to change it to something we would rather do. But whatever it is that God has told you to do, do that and be steadfast in it. It doesn't matter if the world throws this at you or this life circumstances throw this at you. It doesn't matter. If you're steadfast, you're in the Word. If you're steadfast, you're doing what God called you to do. Even when it doesn't really line up with your job, even if it doesn't really line up with whatever it is that the, the world is like, if you're steadfast and you have peace in what God has told you to do, whatever it is, you fill in the blank because everybody should know what God has told me to do. This ministry, that ministry, this, that, whatever it is. God has made it perfectly clear in multiple times in my life when I thought, man, I'm going to go do this. And they were very godly good things. God was like, hey, I got a different idea. Do this. And it was so clear that it was just like, sir, yes, sir. I'm not, I would be, it would, I would be in sin if I continued on the way that I thought I was going to go because it was so clear. Am I living a steadfast life? You know that death has no control over what happens to you. You have eternity coming. You know 
that everything that you do today, tomorrow, and the next day until the rapture happens or you die is building your glorified body in the way that you're going to be able to serve Christ for eternity. So are you living steadfast or are you just wavering? Are you just living a life where it's like, well, the circumstances said I needed to do this or I needed to go that way? No. If you're steadfast, you're in the Word. You're just holding on to what God has told you to do. Right? That's the first thing he says. He says, uh, Therefore, my beloved brother, be ye steadfast. The next thing you can ask yourself, am I unmovable in my faith? This is going to reveal how ready you are for the resurrection. Are you unmovable in your faith? Now, this is very circumstantial in people's lives. Their faith, their belief in God, their uh, belief that uh, God is, is really who God says He is, uh, is dependent on the circumstances in their life. You'll see people who come to church and they get pretty involved and then something will happen. Sometimes something small, sometimes their feelings got hurt, sometimes it's something major, sometimes it's a tragedy, and then they're just, they're just gone. They give up. Well, if God was real, then that wouldn't happen. You fill in the blank, right? And then, circumstances, usually years later, will bring them back to church. And it's like, man, I'm glad you're back. Their life is based on circumstances. Let me just tell you, God's Word is not based on circumstances. God's Word is the rock that we stand on. Now, does it make it any easier to explain when uh, a child dies? Does it make it any easier to explain when somebody dies in a car accident that was, you know, on fire for the Lord? Does it make it any easier to explain why, you know, natural disasters happen? All of these things. No. If you want to have that conversation, we can have that conversation, and I can basically boil it all down to why those things happen. But we're not having that conversation right now. The fact is, are you unmovable in your faith? When you said, here am I, God, just I, I, I want to be a child of you. Take my sin. I, I want to be. I, I want to follow you. That's pretty simple. Now it gets a whole lot harder when circumstances start coming your way. But when you become unmovable in your faith, in the fact of it doesn't matter what happens, I have no other choice. It, it reminds me of uh, when Jesus is. He's got the disciples around. And there's the, I'm pretty sure it was the, the rich young ruler who comes and he's like, I want to be your disciple. And, and, he, and Jesus is, he, he says, okay, that's fine. And he's like, what do I got to do? And he's like, go do this, this, and this. And he's like, I've already done all those things, right? I've already, I've, I've read the book. I've got it figured out. And he's like, okay, do this one thing. Go sell everything that you've got and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he says, he basically went away just defeated because he was just like, man, I, I got a lot of stuff. I got a lot of life. I got a lot of family. I got a lot of... And as he's going away, what, the whole point of this is Jesus asks the disciples, he's like, are you also going to go away? And Peter answers. He's like, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Tragedy can come in your life in a lot of different ways. But when you're unmovable in your faith, it doesn't matter what the tragedy is, you know that God was more real than whatever it was. Um, you know, I, God forbid my, my wife could die. My wife could, you know, get some kind of illness and die. It's not going to change the fact that I'm following God. It's probably going to change the way that I follow God because we do everything together in that sense. But when you're unmovable in your faith, when you come to the point where Peter was in that verse where he says, where else am I going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And I use my wife as an example because like she's the closest thing I am to in the entire world. But it doesn't matter what it is. 
are you unmovable in your faith? Because when you already know the end of the story, when you already know that the resurrection is going to happen and you know how it's going to happen, you know how it's going to play out and you've already seen the end of the story, does that make you unmovable in your faith? Because it should. And if it doesn't, then you probably ought to backtrack a little bit and make sure you're, you're tracking here. Am I living a steadfast life? Am I unmovable in my faith? And this one's a little more tangible. It's a little easier to gauge. And sometimes it's a little easier to make you feel convicted. Am I always abounding in the work of the Lord? It doesn't say, am I abounding in the work of the Lord? I think it's interesting that Paul uses the word always. He says always abounding in the work of the Lord. If Christianity to you is Sundays, Wednesdays, and discipleship days, if Christianity to you is when you have time to open the Bible, if it is you fill in the blank, that's that's not what Christianity is. Uh, if you are always abounding in the work of the Lord, it doesn't matter what you do, it has some sort of eternal impact. Right? And you might say, well, how does that work? I mean, you, know, you do things that are fun sometimes. Uh, believe it or not, Godly things can be fun things. I, I know sometimes the church gets those confused, but believe it or not, I can hang out with my wife and that's abounding in the work of the Lord because I'm told to do that. Now, if I get things out of balance, believe it or not, uh, going and hanging out with my kids or doing this or doing that or investing in the relationships that God has put in my life, that's abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, it's when you turn things on the selfish side of things and you're doing things for you and you become a little me monster and everything that you do is about me and how I can feed myself and how it can benefit me and how I can manipulate relationships to get what I want out of them and all of that. We do that all the time. Okay, now you're not always abounding in the work of the Lord. right? What did Jesus do? He always put himself last. He always put himself under. He always put himself second. Why? Because... That was what he did, right? Because he was trying to show you that the servant, right, is where you need to be. If you're always going to be abounding in the work of the Lord, you're always going to be serving. You're always going to be finding out what you can do for somebody else, how you can pray for somebody else, how you can minister to those that are around you, even if those aren't the ones that are really on your mind. Well, if this is who God's got me around right now, this is who I'm going to minister to, right? If you're always abounding in the work of the Lord, you're finding ways that even in your work life to get God a part of it. You're finding ways to get people that aren't godly to be in the family of God somehow, some way, right? That's what that means. And so if you have 1 Corinthians 15 in the rearview mirror of your life and the fact that I understand what that means and what is coming, then it all rolls into this one verse. Okay, then are you living a life that is steadfast and unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord? Because if you're not, you're either living a life that's just super selfish or you don't understand 1 Corinthians 15 the way that Paul just explained it. right? It's like one of those two things. You either don't get it, or you do get it, and you don't care. You know, that's kind of like that in a lot of things in life. But, you know, it's like driving too fast on the highway. You either don't understand that the speed limit is this, or you just don't care that the speed limit is this. I need to get where I'm going, and I'm willing to risk it. Okay, well, that's the same thing in life. If you just say, well, I know what the Word of God says, but I just don't really care. I don't, I don't, I'm willing to risk it right now. Not a wise choice, but... That's what I'm saying. You either take this chapter in light of what he said and you do something about it or you say, I just don't care. And that's on you. I can't make that for you. I said that last week when I was preaching. One of the hardest things that you'll ever do as you grow in maturity in Christ is you watch people do the wrong thing 
know the right thing is in front of them and not take it. Right? That's one of the hardest things is just to watch them do that. And so, like, decide for yourself. Like, are you steadfast? Are you unmovable? Are you about always abounding in work for the Lord? And if not, why not? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Not just why not, but what are you going to do to change it? Because I can't change it for you. I can't even pray it into your life for you. I can pray that you make the right choice, but like at some point you have to decide for yourself, what am I doing that's hindering me from having like a perfect walk with Christ? Because we all have something, maybe not, but generally we all have something that's like, man, if I could just get this one thing out of the way, then you know it wouldn't be so bad. Okay, well, whatever the one thing is, start there. Have peace in what God called you to do. Do that. Be unmovable in it. Be steadfast in it. And like, be willing to do whatever it is that God's called you to do. Because like the days on this earth, I promise, you feel like they're long and they're drawn out and they're like a blink. They're like a vapor. And there's going to come a time when you're just like, wow, uh, this eternity thing's a whole lot longer than, uh, than time on earth ever was. I probably should have spent a little bit more time investing in godly things. Because you can't ever go back. And you can't add to that glorified body once you're there. So like at some point you got to decide, am I going to do it now or am I never going to do it? So let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for uh, just the simplicity in the way that uh, the Apostle Paul just kind of wraps things up and brings them uh, down for a landing as you know, he, he wraps up this what could be a really confusing topic and he kind of turns it on its head and he says it's really basic and if you would just understand it, you would change the way you live. And uh, Lord, I do pray that... Um, the folks here in Passpoint, you know, that they would uh, just have these things secure in their mind, that they already have uh, just these uh, uh, these these topics, just kind of like they've got it, Lord. They're they're doing it, and I look into the lives of the people, and they're busy about your work, and there's no there's nobody in mind when I when I say these things that I think they need to change. But Lord, if you've convicted anybody, I pray that you would uh, just allow that to work on their hearts, and that they would make the the changes. Because God, there's even things in my life that uh, I know that I could do better i could do differently and uh, i want to make sure that i have as much impact now as i can because once i'm in eternity i can't have an impact on earthly things and so uh lord i pray that you would just use me now uh, in any way that that you could and so i pray you send us out this week as lights in the dark world i pray for pastor brian as he preaches today and uh, all the things that are going on and uh, just uh just life, that you would just give us peace uh, and comfort and just use us, Lord, uh, any way that you would, that you would uh, to expand your kingdom. So I pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.